welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the first morning service of Sunday the 21st of February 2010, entitled Glorify God, and the Bible reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. Well, good morning. Take your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. I do believe we had a great day yesterday and uh, had a wonderful service last night. I thank God for your attentiveness, even though you are very tired, I know. I appreciate uh, all of you being here and uh, thank God for uh, how He's working in the lives of you young people. And so I praise God for that. Look at verse 19 and 20. Very, very familiar uh, passage of Scripture. Um, Paul's addressing the church at Corinth, uh, a, a church when he said, when I should have been speaking to you as spiritual, I had to speak to you as carnal. Uh, they were kindergarten Christians, if you will. They were not spiritually minded. They were carnally minded. Uh, there were things going on in the church that he had to address in the first five chapters. And he gets to chapter 6, and then basically in the beginning of the chapter, he's dealing with the brethren taking each other to a pagan court. And he said, that ought not so to be. You ought not do that. Matter of fact, that's good for today too. If you've got an issue with somebody uh, that's a brother or sister in Christ, you need to try to work that thing out. Don't, do, don't, to, don't go to an ungodly court of law to try to figure out a problem between you and a brother in Christ. It, t- it gives a bad testimony. It puts a bad taste in the mouth of other Christians because it makes us uncomfortable. But that is not the premise of my message. I want you to look at verse number 19. Verse number 19 says, what? Now, this is not a question of inquiry. This is a question of consternation. He's constrained to say, what's wrong with you people? He says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, for you bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, I want all of you to listen to me this morning. I don't know um, if God's ever uh, spoken to you in a dramatic way about whose property you are and whether or not you've been redeemed. If you're not saved, if you're under the sign of my voice and you're really not saved, you think you are and you just raised one hand in church, you may raise two hands in hell. Don't Don't just base your salvation on a prayer that you prayed or a uh, maybe maybe just a, a bowing of your head in a service, you make sure that you know the Savior. And realize this, once you get to know Him, this is the reality of it, is that we are not our own. The Scripture says in verse number 19, look at it, it says, What know you not that your body is the what? There were a lot of words, of course, in the Greek language for temple. Uh, the temple could mean the court area, of the temple property itself, the outer courts, and the, 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 the property, as it were, the temple mount. Then there was a word that meant the temples of their gods. They had many gods, and they had many shrines and shrouds, and they would make these shrines, and that's the word temple. It can mean that. But here in this text, man, it doesn't mean that. It means this. It means the holy of holies. Now, let me read it again, and I want you to think about this with me. He says, what? Know you not, Tim, that your body is the holy of holies. It's the temple, the dwelling place. See, in the Old Testament, that's where God resided. 
He hovered, the Shekinah glory cloud hovered over the mercy seat, which was on the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where God, that's where God dwelt. But see, He just dwelt there in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, He says this, Panos, the, the Spirit of God does not rest in the Temple Mount anymore at the Holy of Holies. He said, now, preacher, your body is the Temple of the Holy Ghost. I had a girl say this to me one time. She said, it's my body, and I'll do with it what I want to. And I wanted to tell her, but I didn't, because I know God will prick her heart and tell her this, that it is not her property, and she's not her own because she's been bought with a price. How do we know that we're not our own property? Number one, we know it by creation. In, in Genesis chapter number two, God said, let us make man in our own image. They made him in his own image. He said, made he male and female them and created him male Created them male and female. So God created us. Psalm 139 says, For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. David said, uh, he, We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. He's our creator. And by the way, if you know any atheists, they've got their own holiday. It's coming up in April, April the 1st. They're fools. All right? Anybody that would believe that a person came from a lichen beetle that was rolling around in a cesspool one day, and a million and a half years later, it sprouted legs out of two warts on its stomach. And then all of a sudden, bumped its head and began to speak. Has got rental property upstairs unfurnished, if they believe that. We are, listen, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are God's property, number one, by creation. He created us. And I said this, and I'll say it again every day that I preach the untainted Word of God. He didn't make you for you. He made you for Him. He created you to glorify Him. He said, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God? And what's verse 20 say? For you are bought with a price. You're not your own. Not only are you God's property by number one creation, but number two by conversion. When God saved you, He converted you. And I said, I said this earlier on this week. When Christ comes, things change. Say it with me. When Christ comes, things change. And when God saved you, He'll change you. He changed you positionally. He'll change you progressively. And thank God one day, Chris, He'll change us ultimately and we'll look and, and be with our Savior. We'll look just like Him. We'll be just like Him. That doesn't mean we'll be Jesus. But it says that when, when He comes, we shall see Him as He is, for we shall be like Him. We're going to have a glorified body. But what do we do right now? How do we glorify God? Well, I want to give you a few things today to think about. Paul was addressing the church at Corinth, and he was addressing the human view of the body. He said the Christian view of the body ought to be one of dignity. It ought not be one of self-gratification. In those days, there was things called self-mutilation. Y'all heard about the people on um, Mount Carmel. The prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove, when their God would not listen or answer, they began to cut themselves and jump upon their uh, altars that they had made, and they cut themselves with lancets and swords and knives to try to get a hold of their God. But guess what? He didn't answer because He don't exist. 
our God is alive and He lives inside of us. And folks, He said, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, what? Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. How do we glorify God? I believe it's the central truth of the whole Christian life. The central truth of the whole Christian life is to give God the glory. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. I want you to turn over to John chapter number 9. I want to show you something. John chapter number 9. Look at verse number 1. John chapter number 9. John chapter number 9. Look at verse number 1. And Jesus passed by, and as he did, he saw a man which was blind from birth, never seen anything before in his life. And Jesus' disciples, his disciples asked him, saying, Master, now this sounds like, this sounds like us today. Master, who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Like that was a reason. That was the result of this man being blind was he was in sin or his parents were. Sounds like a bunch of Baptists, don't it? Well, it's got to be somebody's fault. Well, look at what Jesus said. Jesus answered and said, well, it was both their fault. No, he said, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day because the night coming when no man can work. You know what he basically said, Panos? This man was born blind for the glory of God. Because Jesus knew there'd be a day when he'd pass by this young man, he would touch his eyes, he would restore his sight, and it would give God the glory. Listen, folks, everything he does, he does in our life to make sure that he gets glory out of it. You know, aren't you glad that God has made it in such a way that we can't get the glory and he can? I'm thankful for that. Now, there's a lot of times when men want to steal his glory. There's a lot of times when men and women want to retract or detract from his glory. But I submit to you that everything God does, He does so He would have the preeminence. I want you to look at John chapter number 11. Look at John chapter number 11. Look at verse number 4. Of course, you know the story. Certain man was sick, verse number 1, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his uh, feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus is sick. You know what I've had a lot of people say? You know, why would, why would somebody come down and, and, be, and weep at an altar and, and in front of all kind of people? You know what? Don't be critical of people when God is dealing with them. You don't know where God found them. You don't know the cost of the oil in their box that they're bringing to Jesus and they're anointing His feet. You don't know the cost. You may know your cost, but you don't know theirs. And be very careful you don't be critical of somebody when they're wanting to worship Him. You know what? They were critical of her that day. She wasted that oil. She didn't need to. It was precious. And He said, you know what? She didn't waste it. She brought the best that she could for me. How about let's give Him our best? How about let's give him our best? You know what the best is? Give him, giving him every bit of you. Every bit. Every area of your life. Time, talent, treasure, testimony. Every area ought to be given to him. For what? His glory. I love to hear y'all sing. Y'all. I know y'all. Y'all. 
Y'all, I always say y'all. I can't get away from it. I'm sorry. Uh, I think it's in the dictionary, if I'm not mistaken. But I love to hear you guys sing and ladies sing. There's something about when we're out in that city center that even in the midst of all of the, the persecution and all of the ridicule and all of the haranguing and all of the laughter and all of the people that tear the tracks up, there's something about God's glory coming down on that group of young people on that Saturday morning. I have felt it and sensed it, and I don't base everything on feeling, but I have sensed the glory of God fall on us when we're out there singing for Him. There's something about it that blesses my blesser. Uh, you got a blesser too, all right? Everybody's got a blesser, and if yours is not blessing, it's broke. You need to replace it, all right? Let's get back to our story. I'm sorry. said that Mary was uh, the one that anointed uh, the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Aren't you glad that God loves us? Look at verse 4. And when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the what? Glory of God. Have you ever asked yourself why? Has anybody besides me ever asked the Lord why? Two hands. <laughs> I've asked the Lord why before. I asked my, I asked my Savior why, Lord. You know, I, I just led my dad to Calvary. I just led my daddy to Christ. And 28 days, Evie later, he finds out he's got cancer and got two years to live. That don't make sense. Does that make sense to you? Now, I'm just talking to you. Does that make sense that God would save him and then going to take him immediately almost? But can I submit to you that sometimes serving God don't make sense? It's not going to. Because His ways are higher than whose? Our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And young people, let me tell you something. Sometimes serving God don't make sense. You want to know why it's that way? Preacher Russ, because it's always been that way. Who in the wide world would have ever thought that a harlot, a streetwalker, a prostitute would high-tune spies on the top of her roof so they would not be killed and lie about it when they came to look for them would be mentioned in the great faith chapter in Hebrews chapter number 11, who, by the way, is in the line of Jesus. That don't make sense to me. But I can tell you this, Panos, I'm thankful that the God that made the rules is above them. He can do whatever He wants. Don't you love these people that come up with these cynical questions? Do you think that God could make a rock too big he couldn't pick it up? Well, my first question is this. Why are you asking a question like that? Are you saved? You need to answer that question. Are you a born-again believer? You get that thing settled, and then maybe God will give you wisdom in these other areas. But don't ask these cynical, ludicrous questions to try to put God in a corner. You know what? When we try to fit God in our little bitty box, guess what happens? He don't fit. He don't fit in a box. Ladies and gentlemen, he does everything he does. Why does sickness come? Why is it were 15 years ago, preacher? I'm sitting in a hospital room with a, 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 a young lady about 22 years of age who had a baby who was 10 months old, who was sick with a heart condition. 
And I, listen, Jeremy Meisenheimer was his name. I never spoke a word to him. He never spoke a word to me, but he spoke with his eyes. He'd look at me every single day. There were nine tubes coming out of his chest. His little heart would not pump blood to his feet and his hands. And I, listen, we never communicated with words, but there was something that linked my heart to his. Fifty-one days, I watched that little boy on a ventilator. But after 51 days, he went to be with Jesus. I watched that mother hold that little baby, Tenica, for I think was what, maybe four hours, stroking his little head, stroking his hair. And he went off to be with Jesus. And you know what she said? Why does it have to happen? What do you tell him as a preacher when that happens? I told her, I said, God's going to get glory out of this, Tammy. God's going to get glory out of it. Do you know when I preached that little boy's funeral, little casket about this big? Do you know, young people, 16 of his family members came to Jesus that day. 16. And one of them was his daddy. Why didn't you come, Lord? Why is my brother sick? And Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death, but it's for the glory of God. God is not trying to punish you or do something mean to you. He wants to use you in a mighty way. And everything He's doing in your life is because He created you, He converted you, and He's conforming you into the image of His precious Son. Listen, He knows the way that I take, Job said. And when He has tried me, Ramani, I shall come forth as gold. You know, the whole central truth of the Christian life is really about glorifying Him. But there is a choice in this thing. The whole struggle, the whole struggle through the whole Bible is this. Whose will is going to be predominant? Is it going to be your will? Or is it going to be Dino His will? See, that's the whole thing through the Bible. Whose will is going to be dominant? Because guess what? There's just two choices on the shelf. Pleasing God or pleasing self. Let me say it again. Just two choices on the shelf. Pleasing God or pleasing self. Now which one's it going to be in your life? If you want to bring Him glory, realize He has ownership over you by creation. He created you. You didn't evolve. Some of you might act like you did, but you didn't. You didn't evolve. You were created in the likeness and image of Him. He has ownership over you in creation, number two, in conversion. But number three, He's conforming you. He's conforming you to the image of His Son. That's how we give Him glory, as allow Him to do that. I don't mean this conference to be something intellectual, to preach over your head. I want to preach to your heart, to where it, where it can be applicable when you go back to the workplace tomorrow, when you go back to university next week. I want it to be applicable so you can live on Tuesday and Thursday and Friday, not just Sunday and Wednesday. This has something to do with putting meat on your bones. To putting something in your belly that you can use to where you can go through these tough times and you can come out on the other side and say, to God be the glory, great things He hath done. Well, you say, preacher, what's your point then? How do I glorify Him? We talked about it a little bit, a little bit Friday, morning, Friday evening. What day is it anyway? Sunday? See, everything in the, in the Christian life is about glorification of God. Why was the man born blind? 
Preacher, he was born blind so that God would be glorified. Why did the sickness come to Lazarus? So that God would be glorified. I want you to look in your Bible to John chapter number 14, just a couple chapters over. Look at verse number 13 of chapter number 14. And Jesus said, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. Now, can I ask you something? Was that a suggestion? Jesus give you a promise. Whatsoever you ask in my name, this will I do. That what? The Father may be glorified in the Son. You want to know why we pray? We don't pray so we can see God give us what we need. We pray that the end of it might be that He's glorified. Well, why? You say, preacher, why, did he, why do we do that? Why do we pray? We do it that God might be glorified. Because guess what? I wish I could answer your prayer request. But God's made it to where He's the one that answers them, and He gets the glory for it. See, everything God does, He's doing so that He might get glory. Everything. See, there used to be a philosophy years and years and years ago that the whole world, everything, everything focused around man called anthropocentric. It literally means that, 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 that the center of everything that God does is because of mankind. There was also a a movement that went on back in the early 50s, uh, or mid-50s and late 50s and early 60s that said everything that God does is for the salvation of the souls of men. It's called soteriocentric, centered around salvation. But can I say this? Though I enjoy and love the fact that I'm born again and there's nobody that rejoices more, I don't think. I might find somebody, but nobody rejoices over their salvation more than me because I know where I came from. Listen, folks, salvation is just a means to an end. And what is the end? That through conversion of a soul, Dino, that men might glorify God. That's why. Everything God does is for His glory. I want you to look at a few things with me. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 and verse number 16 says, Know ye not that you are the temple of God, that, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. No, let no man deceive himself. If any of you among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. Now I want you to look up at me. How do people cope with their problems? Well, some people go into severe depression. It happens to a lot of people. Some people turn to substance abuse and drugs and alcohol. Well, I hope as a born-again believer you don't do that, but some Christians revert to overeating and sleeping all the time. And that don't do nothing but just add to the problem too. So how do we deal with these things? Isn't there a better way to deal with it? Isn't there a better way to deal with problems in this life? I submit to you there is. Why does God put us through the trials of life? For us to stay in the valley? Mm-mm. It's for us to get to the mountaintop. Now, when we get that mountaintop, Mike, there's always going to be another way. We're going to crest over and we're going to go down into another valley. But I submit to you that God says, and when we walk through the shadow of death, 
the valley of the shadow of death. We don't have to fear no evil for He is with us. You know, the greatest fact in the Bible is God is. The greatest reality in the Bible is God is here. He's here. See, we think God's somewhere up there. The Bible tells me, know you not that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Do you realize that God ain't up there somewhere? God's in here. He dwells in you. The Holy Spirit of God resides in you. So you've got to give Him glory. If for no other reason, folks, give Him glory for just who He is. Just who He is. Give Him glory. It says, if any of you defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. You say, preacher, is he saying he's going to destroy us? Ultimately, no, no, he's talking to Christians here. We talked about the other night that there are going to be some Christians that get into heaven with nothing but their life. They're going to be saved so as by fire. That means they're not going to have anything to give before the judgment seat of Christ. Everything in their life is going to be burned up because it's of no value. It was worthless. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords, and I want to be able to cast crowns back at His feet. Not for my glory, but for His. I met a girl, Dino, I guess it was about four and a half, five years ago. She wanted some advice. She said, Preacher, I, uh, I've been dating this guy. He loves me, and he's asked me, to, he's asked me to marry him. Now, she's 17. He's 28. I did some research. You know, you ought to do some research on, you know, you ought to check some people out. Guy looked good on the surface, you know. Looked real good on the surface. Had his hair cut the right way, you know. What, what, what we say is the, it, it, the evidence of salvation. You ain't got nothing to do with hair. Ain't got nothing to do with the way you dress. It's got to do with your heart. Huh? We for, for long, far too long, we've put, we've put so much weight in these accoutrements, these externals, that people appear to be something when they really aren't. Boy had his hair cut the right way. He'd come to their youth group. You know, he, I mean, it's just like everything we talk, you know, we talk about. Spoke Christianese, you know. <laughs> knew all the lingo. Knew how to talk. Knew how to say God bless, you know, smile just at the right time, shake your hand, pull you toward him, hug you like he's a brother. I started checking him out. I found out that he had some influences. He was hanging with the wrong crowd. Some of those people, and I won't go into detail, but some of those people were bad news. Come to find out, long and short of it, Panos, he was too. He gave her this big story about he loved her and he wanted to marry her. Well, she started to feel sick one day. She went to the doctor. Doctor said, you know what, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but you're two and a half months pregnant. And she said, the nurse said, we're going to have to run some more tests because there's something else going on. I don't really know what it is, but we need to run some more tests. They did some extensive tests. The next day she got a call and she said this. The nurse said to that young lady, she said, I hate to inform you, but... You have HIV. You've got HIV. The sad thing about it is, 
the baby that you're carrying has it too. Now I wonder what you do at that point. I asked God, what do I say to this young lady? She looked at me and she said, should I have an abortion? I said, why would you want to add the sin of murder to the sin of adultery? God loves you. Hello? Don't, don't, add, don't add sin upon sin. Have the baby, raise that baby, and do the best you can. It's hard. And listen to me, young people. This is the reality of where we live. It's hard to counsel somebody on God's best when that's no longer an option. You don't have to take your life as a piece of lace and drag it through a dirty mud puddle to show it what it feels like to be a dirty rag mop. And the devil is trying to do that to our young people today. Well, I'm 16, I'm going to live my life, and when I turn about 30 or when I get real old like that preacher that's preaching, then I'll serve God. Let me tell you something. God wants to use you in the greatest revivals that's ever came in the last 150 years started with people your age, 16, 20, 25-year-olds. It didn't start with 80-year-olds. God's about done with us. He's got to pass on the baton to somebody, and you're the ones that's going to hold the reins of leadership in the future. And he says, don't you know that your body is the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile this temple, him shall God destroy. That young lady didn't take my advice, Mike. I was preaching in the same city about a year and a half, a year and a half later. And I talked to a school guidance counselor that she went to high school at. And I asked her what was going on with this young lady. She said, well, she had an abortion. And she's living in a halfway house, like a hostel somewhere in town. And she's got the advanced stages of AIDS virus. You know what, you know what hit me is that verse. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. I want to ask you something, young people. Do you realize how precious and how important you are to God? I want all of you to listen to me and look at me. I'm about done. Do you understand how important and how precious you are to God? You are the apple of His eye. Isn't that special? And as much as I love my children, as much as I love my children, I don't think I could ever give my child in your place to die. But God loved you enough that He gave His only Son. His only Son. And He says, what? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? You've been bought with a price? If you know that, if you know you've been redeemed, if you know you've been bought... Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are whose? God's. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you so much for these precious friends that we've been able to be to together with this weekend. But Lord, today's not done. We still have a couple more sessions. And I pray that you would give... Uh, Lord, that you would give attentiveness. Lord, that you would help them to persevere through uh, the rest of the day. I know that they're weary, tired, and I'm sure that uh, exhausted. 
But God, give us, give us a measure of strength to get through the rest of the day. And Lord, I'm thankful that you bought us. You loved us, you loosed us, and you lifted us to be princes and kings unto God. And Lord, help us to realize that you didn't make junk. You love us and we're precious and we're your property. So Lord, that ought to control us and motivate us to do everything we do, whether it be a sickness, whether it be a trial, whether it be a loss of finances, whatever it is, we ought to make sure that everything redounds to your glory. And we'll love you and praise you for what you do because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 